Tomorrow I go to Berlin, but I've had a nice uh, several days here in, in London, and this city feels extremely alive and, and terrifically creative, and it reminds me of the London of my youth, really in the 80s when I used to come here and um, shop the sales with my mom and buy Catherine Hammett and Workers for Freedom and shop at stores that don't exist anymore, like Jones. Does anyone remember Jones? Yeah. yeah so, um, this city has that kind of vitality, again, I think, uh, especially with fashion. And no small, fashion and art. Fashion and art. And, 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 and no small part due to, your, to, due to your support of talent. So it's, we're very, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm so, so delighted to be sharing the stage with Sarah because I'm such a fan of Sarah as not only a writer, but also as a person. And we actually have collaborated together through the decades. Quite a long time ago. I, I used to edit a magazine in 2000, uh, what was the first issue? And I was thinking, mm, I'm sure I covered uh, Cameron's launch of Decades. Um, because at that time, um, I think the word vintage just been invented, really, mm -hmm. or applied to, to second hand fashion. And um, indeed, I pulled it out tonight, and there's a picture, there's a whole series of pages here called Why Vintage is So Very Now. And in here, there's quite a bit about you. Um, Silver is an affable 30-year-old former cabaret singer who traded in old songs for old clothes three, years, three and a half years ago. He said, you can't write a lot about Morel but you can write about the fact that Denis Moore chose to wear his stuff, or that Courtney Love wore Gernwright to the premiere of Man on the Moon. What on earth was that? Long forgotten. God, I forgot. With Jim, with Jim Carrey. And Gina Gershon bought the Aussie Clark Python coat dress from us and wore it to the premiere of Erin Brotherich. Can you remember what that was like at that point? Because you can, because you've got perfect memory. But that this was a crucial time. It was. It was very, very. Fresh. Uh, the, the, the store opened in, in 97 and we were very lucky that in, we kind of got embraced early. Um, with, within six months, the, the store had quite a bit of buzz. But, um, How was, though, Kevin? Well, Richard Buckley discovered the store. This is Tom Ford's partner. Tom Ford's partner um, within two or three months of the store opening. And then Richard told Tom about it, and Tom told Lisa Eisner about it, and Ronnie Sassoon started shopping. So the reason that Tom, that, that Richard Buckley was interested was because Tom Paul was already at Gucci. And, and, uh, yes, he was already at, at Gucci, and um, the, the period of sort of the mid to late 90s in, in fashion, especially especially for a house like Gucci, it was about reestablishing it and owning their, their heritage and their DNA, and all the cool girls started wearing vintage Gucci, and I think that um, Tom understood that it was a matter of kind of manipulating those codes and, and celebrating these cool girls wearing Gucci and making it more accessible in, in modern runway shows. So um, they were looking for vintage Gucci. Yeah, well, the thing was that Gucci itself had passed through so many hands um, and being basically annihilated as a company, so they didn't actually have any archives. So, so right. you were quite instrumental in, in reconstructing that, that archive for Gucci. For Gucci. Yeah, so, and, we, and we still find things for Gucci Group, and now we find things for the Tom Ford archive. Because when he left Gucci, he left everything that he created. So um, it's that, that's the, kind of the great nature of how vintage has changed so much, that in pieces that decades was inspiring in 99 or 2000 are now collectible 13 years later and needed in, in archives and in museums. But you're still a mystery to, 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 to me. So how did, you, how did you convert from being a cabaret singer to, to such an influential um, figure on the world stage of fashion? Well, as a singer, and first of all, I specialize in German cabaret, Kurt Weill and Friedrich Hollander's, you know, the, the kind of 
those gigs, I always used to say, cost money because it was not the most lucrative career. And I, I, by the time I was in my mid-20s and living in my parents' guest house and performing at various entities from a mostly lesbian bowling alley in Minneapolis <laughs> and in the same week to town hall in New York City, um, I needed to find some stability in life. And, and at the same time, vintage was percolating. Um, and I was interested in finding men's vintage. So I really came into the world of vintage just trying to put clothes on my own back. And as a singer, my gigs were really in um, theater settings. So I would play Seattle for two weeks or Orlando for two weeks. And I had to protect my voice. So I would riff. And I found that I learned a lot about the cities I was staying in by what they were giving away. And of course, that was when you could buy a 50 or from 54 for $200, or go to a kabuki dress for $75. It's not like that anymore. But um, I started collecting quite a bit of clothing. And uh, by around the middle of 1996, my parents' living room was filled with rolling racks of clothes. And um, on May 19, 1997, my, my birthday, I took the keys of a building on Melrose Avenue. And um, the, I'll never forget, the, I write about this in the book, the real estate agent said, please don't, don't do this. It's, this is going to be such a failure. Um, well, I own the building now. And uh, it's still a struggle. I always tell people, it's, you know, it, it doesn't get easier. The bigger you get, it gets harder. But it was a very fortuitous transition, and um, God, I'm giving you a long sentence. But it's very similar singing old songs and selling old clothes. It's storytelling. And all I do is tell, is tell stories. And when I sang Vile and Hollander, I tried to give these composers from the 20s and 30s a very modern context. And the same thing happens with decades. Um, I'm not on the stage anymore, except last night at Arts Club. Um, <laughs> but Decades is my stage, and great retailers are great performers. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you want, I, the people I love to shop with seduce me with their, their I'm mean, not seduced with like that, but it just, <laughs> they know how to make something very intoxicating, not by selling. And it's about storytelling. And, so what, what does that mean? So, because I've actually never been to a store, I apologize. I don't know how many people have in this room. So, explain you are what your shop is. All welcome to come to decades. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a shop window? Do we, or do you have to walk up? Do you have to know cameras to knock on the door? Do you have to make appointments? The store go? originally started on the street level, in half a building. We were next to an antique, uh, a used bookstore, a very well-respected bookstore. We had a quirky storefront. Within two years of opening the store, the vintage moved upstairs, and then I, have, I brought in a business partner, and we did a modern component of the business, sort of from modern designer component, modern designer resale. So at that point, you had to walk up the stairs from outside and get buzzed in. Uh, but it was, we've always been very, I feel like it's very friendly when you come in. It's intimidating to come, I think, into any store that has a mystique. And my rule has always been that everyone must leave the store happier than when they arrive, regardless of whether or not they bought something. And if they do buy something, it's great. And if they don't, I hope we, we make a, a new friend. But the store is, I think we're pretty accessible considering what we do. I don't know. I mean, Papa has to be the judge of that. But, but I like to think it's a- When you say storytelling, do you mean that you will actually tell a woman a dress uh, and you tell the story of who made it and who wore it, where it come from. It's um, I learned very early in the business, um, and even before the store was open, that the women who were selling me clothes wanted to really tell me about their lives. Mm -hmm. And in the introduction of the book, I, I referenced this, and there was a lovely woman named Marie who had recently been widowed. She lived in Century City, and she was selling her condo and getting rid of everything, and she showed me, I, I still have like an emotional connection to this, she showed me this Chantilly lace black shift dress that was probably mid-50s, late-50s, and she said, this is the dress I met my husband in. And it's, it, it really affected me. I'm not emotional about clothes. Like I, I don't want to wear any of the clothes, but 
but I've realized that these women were interested in having their legacies continue with a, another generation, another wearer. And um, there's a way to sort of share that history with, with the new owner, um, not necessarily be explicit on the original owner and sometimes it's a little Some Some people have freaked out, I think, particularly in America, by the thought that somebody who owned this might be dead. <laughs> I think probably in this, in this country we're, we're a bit more basic about it. And I yes, always well, child I mean, bought, bought four 1940s dresses from, um, you know, jumble sales and it didn't matter. Well, I always tell everybody but that... But Americans are very clean, right? Well, <laughs> um, we're a little dirty. Uh, I hope we don't get too clean in our next election. Um, <laughs> I want us to be a little cool, uh, not so clean cut. But I um. No, but I'll do, do people worry I, about pre I always like to remind people that these are clothes that were worn um, by people in their most celebrated moments in life. I, I'm not doing basics. I, I'm not doing work where it's um, everything is glamorous, be it day or evening. And think about it: if you were wearing a vintage patu, you were probably pretty happy that night. You were wearing it, <laughs> or a VNA. So yeah. I, I think let let that energy speak to itself. It's been interesting with with our growing Asian clientele because mainland Chinese have always had an issue with something uh, belonging to somebody oh, deceased. If you put a woman in a dress and if her boobs and ass look good, I don't think I think she doesn't care if, an, if a you know axe murderer warrant. <laughs> I mean, like if you, if you feel sexy and good, it, it, it sort of solves the issue. And, and also, anything you buy in a store, most likely someone else has tried on, probably without any underwear on. So <laughs> at least in decades, we dry clean everything. Think about it. I can't tell you how many stars come into the store without any underpinnings. In this economy, we have a constant supply of spanks now. If you're, if you're in a G-string, I mean, you're more or less naked. So. Um, so tell us about the book, um, because I, I, thank you, you sent me a copy um, a couple days ago, and I think the, 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 the uh, a picture research in it is absolutely extraordinary. Well, and you've broken it down into chapters where you have women who are inspirational to that for that decade. That's one thing I'm really interested in. Well, first I, I want to give a shout out to Heather Rickers, mm -hmm. who did all the photo research. I want to meet you. So good. Um, and, and Heather had a very interesting job because I wanted to write a book about vintage fashion that was modern, that wasn't really um, suggesting the past in, in a strange way. And, and so and imagery, and the imagery was really, well, it's sort of, the, it's the gimmick yeah. of decades, it's all that vintage, that looks modern, and I think the imagery was really selected on, does this picture look modern? Do you, you look at this picture of Greta Garbo in this ombre coat with fox trim, do you want to knock that off and wear it today? And, or a woman in a skunk fur uh, jacket in the 50s holding a compact and it looks like she has a cell phone. So as Heather was doing photo research, I'm like, sexy, modern. I mean, these were my, my references. So um, every decade, I, first of all, this is not the definitive history of fashion. It's my history. It's all I know. Um, and it's what I like. And um, for each decade, I tried to pinpoint certain women who I felt uh, a connection with, who, who represented the decade to me, not, not necessarily obvious women. Monica Vitti is one of them who, as a uh, student at UCLA studying Italian cinema, I was fascinated by her, and I, I loved her style. What um, was her style? I mean, she sort of had a, she was, in a sense, almost like an Italian Charlotte Rampling. There was um, a bit of, Androgyny, and, and she was so different than the other Italian film stars uh, right before her, like so different from the Sofia Loren. And I, she's not ubiquitous, so it's like, let's give Monica Vitti a little shout out. Um, so we, we pair, in the 70s, uh, we pair Cheryl Teagues with Bianca Jagger. Now, I chose Cheryl Teagues as an inspiring woman because I think so many women of that generation growing up all wanted to look like Cheryl Teagues. 
Um, and I think Americans said we didn't know. Americans she, we didn't know who she was. And, and, and she was also the, the first model to have a million dollar contract. Mm -hmm. And she kind of represented that 70s American sports sheet. And against Bianca Jagger, who I, I, mean, I, I wish I had a chance to hang out with Bianca in the 70s, but these are two women who inspired me. Not, not they both, we found photos of both of them at Studio 54, not in the book and not at the same time. But uh, they just inspired me. Nobody's obvious, I, I think, necessarily. I mean, Betty Page is somebody we use. Um, but you look at these images of Betty Page, and she's dressed so provocatively, and the face is so innocent, and you realize how scandalous these images were, and, but they still look relevant to me today. So I, I think that Heather did such a beautiful job in understanding that I wanted every image to, when you read the book, to someone saying, God, I want that dress. Yeah, I, I think I think what's extraordinary in the photo, the, the early section of the photograph is that all the girls look so young and so in the moment. I mean, the pictures of uh, that picture of uh, Sylvia Fitzgerald and the one of is Dora Duncan. Oh, it's so, such a great. Well, this is this book took five years to write, um, sort of from contract of Bloomsbury to publication. So um, this has been you know obviously decades. The book that took half a decade to write. But I, I, I didn't want to write a typical coffee table book. And it was so nice that Bloomsbury understood that I wanted a book that really had essays for each decade. Uh, we made a decision to write in first person, which is unusual for this type of book. And I, 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 it had to be personal. It had to be me. So it was not a rush job whatsoever. It was a, a long process. And I'm. Ultimately, this is a book that I want my parents to be proud. So, um, if, if I've achieved that, I, I've had success. When you say um, modern, I mean it's a very loose term. And my editor Anna Winter is always saying modern, and we always have to work out what that means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it means um, what you kind of want now. Um, what are girls asking for now? What's what's the thing? Well, there has been a very exciting shift in fashion, um, really, uh, I think, in the last 10 years, because so many of the greats have either retired or passed away. So we, we don't have a Saint Laurent Valentino. We kind of is still designing. Yeah. It is, I mean, God, Valentino is more ubiquitous than Rachel Zoe at this point. Um, but but so, there's been this incredible turnover in designers and designers changing houses. So. I, I get very excited when someone rather young comes in, you know, maybe someone who's 14, 15, 16, who has this great knowledge of fashion, really because she was reading the reviews on style.com. And um, for these, these young people, they're excited to see clothes that are like four or five years old. So I think that the, the vocabulary, it's I remember being, being so gobsmacked when Mr. Kane told me that the early 90s were his you know, his inspiration because it's so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I the, started. The 2000s are being referenced. Yeah. And, and the 2000s? Yes. Who, who in the 2000s? I think that um, it's, it's a lot of what Tom Ford was doing. It's a lot of what Stella was doing. Um, you think about it, sort of those pivotal collections. That, so sort of, Tom Ford was always referring to the past himself. But now, but, people, but, but now you think about somebody who's 16 or 17, it's kind of almost perverse to wear something yeah, that's Maybe that's like, the ultimate rebellion, yeah. Yeah, to wear <laughs> something that, you Always know. is, yeah. The, mm -hmm. thing, the thing that slightly elders think is really bad, yeah. And, and, and that's I, why you, I remember you, you wrote in your book that you had a very serious reaction, emotional reaction against the 80s when uh, that first stuff had been being revived. Because I did the 80s, I wore the 80s, and I gave it all away, it was so stupid. <laughs> I had the most amazing sprouts and Gautier and Comte Garçon. I'll preface this that I'm an only child, and my parents <laughs> were generous in letting me shop on sale. Um, and that's also when clothes, you know, the 1984-85, you can actually buy a jacket on sale for $75. Now mm -hmm. that jacket on sale is $750 or $1,000. Um, I didn't understand the value of the clothing then, but I... You knew it was good, though. I knew it was good. I had, I, I, I had good taste, and I always say that I have East Coast shopping habits, West Coast eating habits, because <laughs> I'm a pretty simple eater, although 
<laughs> this banks are not opening right now. <laughs> and kind of Midwestern values. And, and I think the store sort of functions that way as a work. The, the store was built with writing. You'll have to translate that, that word in England. So, so Midwest, like think of like, Sorry, uh, think of, we're in England? <laughs> um, okay, so East Coast. East Coast, and sounds like, you know, think of Madison Avenue, Fifth Avenue, big, big shoppers. West Coast eaters were all vegan and vegetarian right, okay. eating disorders. But everyone, <laughs> have, have you noticed that everyone has an eating disorder? I, it's, it's, I, I, a friend of mine just wrote a book, and of course, the People magazine headline for her book is like, Stacey London, former bulimic. So I emailed Stacey, I'm like, come on, you've got to do something a little more exotic than former bulimic. I mean, everyone's a former bulimic. Um, and then in the Midwest, we sort of have these, the Midwestern values, sort of the, the heartland of America, um, very sort of like ethical. I would say, and, and yeah, ethical, hardworking kind of. I'm like a hard worker. I work seven days a week. I haven't had a proper vacation since decades has opened. Um, but the gray hair is not because of decades. It's I did it myself. It's silver hair. It's silver, silver. hair. It's all about branding. <laughs> so, um, so, so I mean, in this sense, we kind of like have that we're old world of decades, but we're also modern. And, and that's the fashion I like. And, and when you mentioned how Anna always talks about loving things that are modern, those are the designs that I'm attracted to now. I mean, I, I had a problem with the, the 2000s, which I call the decade, the decade decades, because everything looked vintage. Yeah. But I think in the last few years, um, things look fresh. <laughs> things don't look like things that came from decades. Um, well, I'd say um, everything from what Proenza is doing to the, I think Mary's prints, Mary McKenzie prints are, are are so unique and so interesting. Um, if you look at Rick Owens and and all the people who have followed him, it, it's it, it, he sort of took that apocalyptic Japanese fashion of the '80s and, and made it look, I think, very modern. Uh, I was particularly excited about what, I mean, I always love what Matt Simmons has done, and I think that his work at Dior... You know, that's a really interesting transition then, because he was an underground mm -hmm. menswear designer. Yes. Deliberately underground, very, very um, urban, gritty, unspoken. Mm -hmm. And now he's at Christian Dior. What do you, what, how do you rate his, um, his referencing of Christian? Well, I was at that Dior Couture show, and... Um, I got so excited because I thought this looks modern. This looks like couture, but it's it, it pays um, homage to the past, but it looked very, very modern, as opposed to so many of these other uh, couturiers who I think, yeah. I love Gautier, but Gautier doesn't look modern to me, necessarily. I mean, so it's, what about his 80s and stuff? Did that that, that was great. That was yeah. great. I, I mean, I, I wore it. But I think that, you know, Gautier's uh, relevance isn't that prominent anymore, unfortunately. Although I think he's such a great talent. Well, but let's talk about people reviving, reviving Parisian, great Parisian. Uh, everyone and their mother is reviving a house. And I, I think it's been interesting what's happened with VNA uh, recently because you know everybody with, with some cash wants to buy a brand. And is it, it's go go. Go go. Yes, who, who, who bought the brand? And I, and I think that whole journey with DNA has been so interesting. Here you had um, the, the former owner, Valentino, buy the brand. I don't know what he bought it for. And then he sells it to, to this woman for a lot of money. And then she fires the staff and designs it herself now. So um, I, I think there's a challenge quite often with buying a brand that has a very, very identifiable DNA and going against it. And, and at the same time, there's a desire to buy a legacy name because it, it means something. Uh, we were we had a little lunch earlier today and we were talking about Balmain. And I think most people don't really know what it looked like in the yeah, 40s. Or what did you do in fact? 
I mean, it was it, it, but also like very, pure, very, no, very, very French, Porsche, very French Porsche. couture. Yeah. I mean, it's like I'd say it's like like the epitome of French couture, like which has nothing to do at all with what they're doing. Absolutely nothing. So which it's, is 80s references. Which your is, hate your yeah. cheap hate. Which, which, which I, I quite like. like. No, no, I like the 80s references. I, I've learned to love them. Mm. You know, it's sort of like I just had to get past that. I, mm. I had sold those clothes also in the 80s when I worked with Theodore. <laughs> I was selling. Mugler and Montana yeah. and Sonia and, and Dolce. <gasps> I mean, all, yeah, when Dolce so was amazing yeah. back then, I was not so excited about the show in, in Sicily in, in July. Yeah. Were you there? Yeah. Oh, that's what they were so mean. They didn't let anybody go. They were so <laughs> weird. That's a whole nother, we have a whole other thing with, with sort of journalists getting banned from oh, yes. shows. <laughs> um, with, 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 which, is, which is so ridiculous. But, um, I think that there is a very exciting moment uh, in fashion, particularly particularly in the UK, as as I remembered it in the yeah. 80s. And um, we have designers here who aren't referencing no, so they're... much. If you see what Mr. Kane does, he might start off with something here and something there, which could be from the past. But by the time it's all melded in, you won't be able to tell. And he's no, not going to tell you that it's it's. It's distinctive and it doesn't look like anything yeah. that someone has in their closet. And I, I think that's a very important aspect as a designer is that you have to give mm -hmm. some, to, to seduce someone to buy something, it better be something they don't have in you. Yeah, what closet. I really hate is a mood board. You don't like a mood board? I hate a mood board. But you look when people are pulling out, you know, magazine. I know, but everyone does that. I've made so much money making mood boards for people. <laughs> oh my god! I love doing mood boards. I love getting like a consulting job and 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 helping. Um, How does that go? Well, if it, you know, when I do creative consulting, and, I, and some things I've done publicly and some things I've done privately, yeah, it's it's helping. Designers need people objectively to help them. Sort of, is there an old? Uh, uh, not even an old house. I mean, I've, I've, I've done mood boards. I've, I'm, one I'm not allowed to talk about, but for a brand you would never think of me working on, which is a heritage Italian house that's very cashmere based. You guys can figure out where, where I was hired to really pump up the fashion a little bit and, and, and would create these mood boards. And, um, you know, a lot of people. A lot of people don't know fashion history, so yeah. we so have. You're an educator as yeah, well. Yes, have to help people on the journey of discovery, and, mm -hmm. and I think so many of us. Um, I, I think so much creativity. It's about referencing the past, and the, those who are really successful at it, you don't know exactly what they've referenced. Those who are not so successful at it, and who were really given permission in the 2000s um, to make very uh, vintage collections. I think they are challenged now uh, as we are in the mid-second decade of the 21st century. I don't think the consumer is interested in collections that are so obviously referenced from the past. The consumer is much more intelligent. I mean, she, she is a, she and, he and she are much more intelligent consumers. Yeah. Well, maybe mm, a little bit more less educated as well, though, because when I, I mean, if I, in my reviews, if I if actually reference, they go into trying to explain where reference comes from, I know people are going to stop reading. Mm -hmm. um, but then on the other hand, when I go backstage and the designer starts to tell me about his his um, line by line inspiration from Gucci or I don't know whoever, I think, God, that's really boring. <laughs> It is boring. It is boring to be literal about yes. uh, about things. And, and I think it's not acceptable anymore. It's not creative. No, but but there are plenty of designers who, all through the two thousands, um, had enormously successful careers yeah. referencing the past. I mean, Mark Jacobs, I think, is one of the great examples of it. I think he is a genius designer and uh, genius market marketer. But truly, he's very um, pronounced in his inspiration from the past. Now, even if you look at his last Reed Thomas show, with the whole sort of uh, total, it's very Rudy Garner, total of 60s referencing. 
he kind of gets away with it more so than other designers can today. I think Eddie Sliman is an example of somebody who showed last week. He just he didn't get away with it. Why not? Well, well, I was quoted yesterday on Vogue.co.uk um, about the show. I, I'll preface this that I am a great fan of Eddie Sliman. I have YSL pieces. He did originally men's pieces. I, I, I actually have taken some with me on on this trip. But to me, it was too literal and too obvious. And um, as I said in this quote, it's like every girl I know has been dressing like that for the last 10 years. She buys a vintage YSL blouse, she wears a pair of skinny black pants, real sexy heel, and like a statement necklace and a big hat. Yeah, so, and a, and a little boy jacket. It's like, that little boy jacket, is, it, it just was weird. I, I, I don't... The, the fact is that Eddie Slimane decided he wants to be based in LA while being a, a chief designer in a Parisian house. So is that coming from LA, from what he sees in LA? He's too worldly just to have that narrow um, scope. I, I found it very baffling because he really presented uh, in the build-up of there was going to be a, a parting of the Red Sea and, you know, he was going to do an exodus of, of YSL. And then it just was so strange that it was so literal and so vintage. And I, I wrote a blog about it last week and, and I tried to be really polite about it because he does live in LA and I don't want to become, <laughs> I do not want to become his LA Kathy Horn. Um, but I just was very, confused because he's so much more talented than what he delivered and um, it just to me looked like a show if someone like a Jill Stewart who I think is a very successful contemporary designer said I want to do a 70s YSL homage and, and that's like what it looked like to me. So um just to swerve away from controversy a bit. Oh, we need controversy. <laughs> we need lots of the, the tweets are going off like crazy right now. <laughs> They're so dead rapid um, being delivered to my house. The interesting part to me is what you just said is that you know those girls, you know women. Mm -hmm. You speak to women, you know the women who are buying fashion. So, um, how many of your many of your clients are activists, celebrities? It's, it's we a, hate that word, celebrity. Yeah. It was really at the same time that a new studio system had started in the sense that Silas were the new studio it system of, of dressing. So we came of age at, at that time and also the same time that every uh, brand had an ambassador or a VIP wrangler. Uh, initially, stars were very interested in, in vintage because it separated them from the pack. Yeah. And I would say that um, someone like Nicole Kidman really emancipated herself from her past with Tom Cruise visually to people because she was wearing vintage clothing. I, I think it made her seem like such a vanguard. And and remind us what she wore. She was wearing vintage uh, vintage Azaro from us, vintage Rudy Gernrich. Lorenz Scott um, is and was her stylist and, and Loren understood Loren who's such a, a vintage lover really understood that if you're going to step away from your past and your and, and your husband, um, maybe this is, I might be reading more into this, but I do think that that was a very important part of turning Nicole Kidman into an, an individual icon and not just a great actress who was married to Tom Cruise. Ironically, when Katie started dating Tom, she came to decades. And, and, we, and we built her wardrobe up um, to also give her a little... What did you, what did you give her? We were, we were putting her... <laughs> uh, her first Hermes bags came from decades. Um, she was wearing vintage Mingaro, vintage Lan Van, but also it was kind of giving her a different 
identity, so she was getting fashion press. Uh, fashion press is so valuable. Every, every actress I know wants an endorsement of the brand. Every, everybody wants a cover. So um, for a lot of these actresses, it was vintage that separated them from the pack and also gave them a tremendous amount of um, attention, not so much for wearing Gianni, uh, a Gianni or Donatella Versace design dress, but because they were wearing something vintage, Madame Grey, something mysterious. So they had a, this story became more about their style and less so about the designer. Flash forward 15 years later, celebs want everything for free, yeah. um, as do I. <laughs> so, um, I got everything I have on, I got for free, except I did buy my socks today. Costs. I, went, I went there after I saw you. Um, but it's that sense of <laughs> entitlement has become so exaggerated in the last 15 years. Now, when I worked in retail, when I was in college at UCLA, I worked at a store called Theodore, which famously brought a lot of European fashion to LA. Theodore and, and Giorgio, Fred Hayman's famous store. All those stores were completely dependent on celebrities who bought clothes. I'll never forget doing a fitting with Dana Delaney uh, about four years ago when she was on Desperate Housewives and going to the Emmys, and she had won an Emmy for China Beach. And she was like, Cameron, it's so weird now. I remember going to Charles Gallet's store and buying a Sanatula dress when I was nominated, just doing it now. It's, there's payola involved. It is so complicated how everything happens. I mean, there are stars who have endorsement deals with major brands who also get paid every time they wear a dress by that brand. It is, everything is so hyper-considered and calculated. And everything has a price. Everything has a price. So when you see a star in vintage, realize that she most likely bought the dress, unless she's a really good friend of mine and she's going to do me a favor, like <laughs> Jessica Chastain. Um, oh, I mean, really interesting, Jessica Chastain, because I, I was at the Elisa Main show, mm -hmm. the launch show, um, and I was sitting right behind that lovely girl. Mm -hmm. um, she took off her jacket and she had a polka dot um, halter neck dress. And I heard I had intelligence tonight from somebody in the audience who said that you indeed sold her that dress. Some sort of yes, well, um, but it was Saint Laurent. Yes, yeah, so and I was trying to figure out whether it's Stefano Platino. No, 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 no. there was very there was a very strict rule that it had to be Saint Laurent by Mr. Saint Laurent. I mean, it was very very specific what happened. Um, she has had. I met Jessica in the beginning when nobody knew who she was, and I uh, had heard about her through Lynn Hirschberg, who's now at W and Lynn. Always, She's a writer? Yeah, Lynn Hirschberg, great, great, great writer, and Lynn said, you need to pay attention to this girl. And I remember taking Jessica to an event and going on a red carpet and no one knew who she was. And I kept telling the photographers, this is Jessica Chastain, and she's going to be so famous in six months. And of course, she became so famous in six months. But with because yes. she was in The Help. She, the she was in else? like uh, 400 films. The, 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 I mean, she was basically in every film that's mm -hmm. ever come out since in the last year. She had, she had seven films come out in one year and, and got the Oscar right, nomination. Okay. And, and she is a no, lovely, tremendously yeah. brilliant, it, yeah, terrific person. But yeah, this is one of these things where she was in rehearsals for The Heiress in New York. Um, her stylist, Elizabeth Stewart, who's like, a sister were very, very close, came to the store. She found the black and white dress in the back, back area where we put the stuff that, you know, doesn't have a lot of life apparently. And I bought that dress in Paris maybe nine years ago and it has some stains on it, but I'd always liked the silhouette of it, so I thought I'd reference it for an inspiration. What day, what day it? it was like an 80s YSL. And, um, but why couldn't, why couldn't she have had something from the house of Samuel? Well, this it's complicated with YSL because she's with the fragrance, which is part of L'Oreal, which is separate from the fashion. Oh, so, so it's it's very and she what, really. So the house doesn't talk to her. No, the house talks to her, but but I think it's one of these things where it's just. Uh, I and mean, I would have <laughs> if I were Adi Sliman, I would have wanted the first person to wear my clothes to be Jessica Chastain, and in this case, it's been Lady Gaga who wore it to. Uh, 
dinner with Shalina so much. <laughs> Did you see those photos? Like, that was like, you know, that, that, yeah. Yeah, and now she's wanted to get some peace practice. So, well, yeah, God bless Lady Gaga. We should just grow up wondering if like, she did it for concert in, in Spain on last Sunday. That's the other way to get a lot of press now. Projectile vomit. It worked for, it worked for Justin Bieber also. But, but this is one of these things where Jessica's in rehearsals, Elizabeth and I are in LA. We sent the dress to Jessica. The fitting is done via Skype. Elizabeth flew and arrived that morning of the show to Paris to make sure everything was okay. Jessica then flew back to do a dress rehearsal for the heiress. Um, and it, and of course, then the dress gets like best, best dress, this dress that we sold, it was only $650 and it's pots on it. <laughs> because it, it's one of these things where like, I just fell in love with it and bought it and I got a tremendous amount of press, but it also helps that it's Jessica because she really illuminates everything. It's you're just a lovely person. But you know, today I was doing, we were doing fittings with Kristen Davis for the Dubai Film Festival, <laughs> uh, which is in December, and it's kind of, we're all doing it via email, and she's coming to my dinner for my book in LA on Friday, so. Uh, Where are you buying from now, um, Cameron? Because I, I, I do notice when I go to Portobello, or even down to Top Nose, which is my favorite, amazing place, people know why it's mentionable, where I've, I've been buying for the past 10 years, mm -hmm. and it's running out. It's um, not only the running. And now I'm guessing you've got the same thing by apostrophe by Primark. Oh, on, on, on this is yes. Well, I mean, Escada is Escada is vintage now. Um, things are getting recycled. I mean, I mean what, what happens if I look at our early customers who may have been in their 30s or mid 30s? They're now in their 50s or, or mid 50s, and their bodies are changing, some of them, and, and their lifestyles are changing, so they're recycling it's through shitting. us. Yes. Um, and, and of course, the age when something is considered vintage or collectible has changed. So um, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's getting dried but up. I, I'm still excited by the 40s, particularly 40s, 30s. Uh, that's what I love to buy. No, Where's that stuff coming from? I mean, it's that... it's coming from dealers. I mean, occasionally there's somebody really old who, who has it, or, or a family member who held on to something. I mean, there's always one of those weird calls I get from someone going, "Oh, my great aunt was married to the president of Wells Fargo and went to Paris in the '40s, and she has all of these Jean de So that that still happens every so often. And the nice thing about decades is that at least people know the store. So. Um, things come to us. But uh, I, I have a show that starts uh, with Bravo in a couple months next year. And a show. A show, a TV show. And uh, you will see me going into closets of some, I mean, it's not just like, you know, closet hunting. Although it is the last television appearance of Phyllis Taylor, if you guys know who Phyllis Taylor is. Yeah. Um, she, her last time on TV is with me and, and oh, out with tell, her. Tell, 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 tell. Well, I, I've known, I mean, I, I knew Phyllis Diller for, I guess, about 10 years, and she was always a fan of what I did and always well, read about me. Describe what her, her style. Well, there are two closets for, for, for Phyllis Diller her costumes, and then her real clothes, of which she bought Valentino and Oscar. Um, she also invented the clear wig holder. People don't know, know that. What but is the clear? It was, it was a clear, pla clear plastic wig and hat holder, so you can wow. see them. Oh, yeah. um, she was, she had a full-time costume designer on staff for about <laughs> thirty-five years. So that quirky look that she created, she made Herbert Levine do her silver shoes at the oddest place on her ankle, the most unflattering place, because she knew it would get a laugh. She was a genius <laughs> when, when it comes to fashion. Um, and we had, we had a gin martini together, but, but I go into Dita Von Tisa's closet. Uh, I, I, we, we go shopping in Paris, but you see me going into um, a, a woman's closet named Barbara de Kwiatkowski, who was uh, a very famous muse of Halston, one of the great socials of New York, sort of the studio book before world, and the collection is so good. So it's Salon Couture, and she, shows me um, a Halston dress that she wore to a Warhol opening here, I think in 78, that uses a Warhol print, but then the Halston class, classic diaper strapless dress. But I wouldn't, I was like, you can't sell this, this is so good. So things are still coming out. There's still 
women with lots of clothes. And I go to the Middle East in April, so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of those closets. Certainly in Asia, there's a tremendous amount of women's couture here, size 34. Um, but the thing, things are still coming out there. But I'm also, you know, at, at this point in my life, looking at the other opportunities for me and taking, um, taking whatever notoriety, notoriety and um, prominence decades has given me to other aspects because I do not want to be running up those leopard stairs for the rest of my life <laughs> at decades. And I have seen everybody naked, and I don't know if I want to see them naked in 15 years. But if you live in LA, they'll all look the same. Um, but but it's you know it's it's I'm an independent retailer. I'm an old school retailer, and um, I look. Barney's, which originally sold discount men's suits, and I think, well, how do I go? Like, how do I build and go to the to the next level? I've been so blessed by this business. I mean, it is amazing that you know I'm so delighted all these people people are here, and um, that what I do matters to people. But I also, you know, I want to do it forever. I think um, I should stop talking and asking you questions now. I think other people should ask some questions. But anybody, would anybody like to ask a camera question? The lady in Cranberry. Um, how much um, do you sort of propose in the US and how much do you travel um, Well, so the, the question was uh, how, how much, much comes. How, how much do you, do you source in LA and how much do you travel? Um, well, I travel nonstop, hence my expanding waistline. Um, and if you follow me on, me on Instagram, you see I do kind of go everywhere. Wherever I travel, I look for clothes. I always do so. Two days ago, we were at Carrie Taylor's auction preview and was looking at things for auctions on the 16th, so please don't bid against me on the things I want. Um, there's always a closet visit. I fly to New York. I'll be in Berlin this weekend, of which I'm looking at that Chloe collection. Remember I told you? Yes. Yeah, why don't you put it on? Okay, okay, so I'm looking at a Chloe collection, um, a woman who modeled for Lagerfeld uh, in the oh, early seven. 80s, that late 70s, and early 80s. She has the water fountain dress, I think she had. So, you know, I'm excited. Chloe doesn't have that. Yeah, you know, I'm excited. I don't know if going to ask me for it. So. Um, then I'm in New York and I go through, I, I meet the niece of Anne Klein and go through the archive. Um, had a good moment Yes, well, it's about to happen again. I think, um, Again, a great name that means something that um, can come back again. So, oh, I'm I'm looking everywhere, and um, yeah, if anyone has any clothes. <laughs> any other questions? Yeah. Who's your ultimate designer, and why? So it's a great question. Um, I I do love Rudy Gernrich, uh because he was such a modernist, probably for the same reason why I like someone like Ralph Simmons. Um, I've also had the honor of curating uh, a show called The Total Look, which is the, about the creative collaboration between Rudy Gernrich, his model, and muse Peggy Moffat using all of her actual clothes and the photos her husband took, uh, William Braxton. So, and, and, and I I love Rudy because it's, is it, he, he did so many things first. Um, and also, he's a, he's a topless swimsuit. I remember being riveted by that. Yes, which which I call. But does it exist? Oh, it does exist, and it's certainly it's it's in the show, and wow. it really represents the birth of modern fashion. Yeah. I'm I'm also a great fan of Halston, just because I, <laughs> I it just it's a way I like a woman to dress. But I like everything. That's the problem. It's um, it's hard to. <laughs> it's like I just I just like. Do you it like Comic Garçon? Because I you always talk about sexy clothes. Well, that was one of the challenges in the book, was sort of addressing Japanese fashion. <laughs> um, because <laughs> because it's, it's not so much my personal aesthetic, um, but I understand that, but I like the intellectual aspect of the clothes. Mm -hmm. you know, we used to have a shop inside Dover Street Market, and, and yesterday I was at Dover Street looking at some of the men's, and she had these great pantaloon pants yeah, and floral like jackets. Wearing, wearing a pair at freeze. Yes, it? keep up my size. <laughs> I know exactly who it is. I, I wanted to get a pair. He was standing there right in the middle so nobody could avoid seeing uh, him. Wearing... I really wanted those. So I, I think she's 
I mean, it's Japanese clothes aren't really sexy. No, no, no but I'm, what I'm driving at is, is sexy. I like sexy. I mean, I think so. It's <gasps> Miyake can be sexy sometimes. It's certainly like please, her, please? Well, no. I mean, like early Miyake was kind of sexy. And sometimes I'll see a Yoji, which looks very, very sexy to me. Also depends. What turns you on? Well, it depends who's wearing it. But but I truly believe that no matter your age or size or gender, everybody wants to look sexy, and that's in to, to in his or her own eyes. But but I'm a great believer in the democratization of glamour and um, you know sexy cells. Uh, there are certain people who, who don't desire to wear sexy clothes, but sometimes I look at a pair of shoes and I'm like, you are not going to get a man in them. <laughs> so I call those things dick deflators. <laughs> but, but it's like, it's like that. That's what you called Celine to me earlier on. Yes, yeah, so I'm horrified. Celine is a bit of a dick deflator. Um, and actually, I had a friend. I had a friend who was just doing the buy for Asia for it, and he was like, I don't know what to do because it's. It's too much. It's it's too much. I appreciate it. And I can see how my friends will wear it and, and make it look. Some relevant. women find it sexy to intimidate men. Yeah, well, we were talking it about that. Yeah, well, I, I, I think an Armani pantsuit is sexy from the eighties. Like that power look. It was originally. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So, um, I mean, I think a woman in a Chanel suit can be sexy if the silk blouse is a little bit low and you see a little lace of a camisole. Sound like Tom Ford now. <laughs> uh oh, but I'm not doing like you know I'm not doing but it seems like a bunch of straps on everything. Yeah. But no, I mean I I think everything is sexy, but I, I I love a woman of a certain age who's sexy. I mean, and I'm not talking about she has to wear a halter top mm. and and show her belly, but I just I. There was an amazing woman who passed away about a year and a half ago named Shelley Musselman, who was one of the founders of the store called 4510 in Dallas. And she was such a tragic, untimely death. She was only 60. Um, but she would wear Japanese fashion, and it looked so sexy. She had silver hair, and she was just so striking. And um, I love if somebody can wear something intellectual, but make it individual yeah. I'm, I'm in i'm what i'm obsessed with is individuality that's why i love vintage and i guess for me when i look at these runway shows and i and i, I love what phoebe Fiona does and i'm like oh, god that's so scary but i can see how you take that piece out i have to say every time i pass by a celine window i think it's a men's piece <laughs> i want that striped me sweatshirt it's so cute oh yeah that's yeah. cool we heard of androgyny oh yes <laughs> any other questions sorry um, when um, Kathy Horan and when the whole Kathy Horan and the YSL Wuha book kicked off, um, she had previously said that Rassamons did the, de the skinny menswear thing first, and apparently he took umbrage to that, and that, that may have kicked off the thing. And then later she was like, oh, but anyway, he cares who did it first. Do you think it matters who did something first or not? I don't think either of them did it first. I. Mean, mm -hmm. I my helmet line before that. Helmet was doing it. And you know who else was doing it? Enyo Capasa at Costume National. My first skinny suit I bought in 1996 at Fred Siegel. Enyo gets no credit, but it, you know he was proposing a very skinny suit for men. Um, so I, I, I think that it's who knows who did it first, but uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily a rap or AD can take claim to it. Do you think it matters that anyone did anything first in, in the grand scheme of fashion history? I mean, I think when it comes to, when it comes to historically, yes, but skinny suits were worn way before Eddie Sliman, who is, I think, 44 now or 43, way before he was eating baby food. I mean, they, suits. Yes, I mean, the, uh, I bought a 70s suit in Lecce, Italy, that, is cut so skinny, and, and it's like from '72. So I mean, it has an elephant-like hat, but the jacket. After that, what, who, who invented the, the, the mini skirt? Mm -hmm. I mean, was it Mary Font? Was it Courage? Or it, or was it Jean Patou doing tennis wear? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I mean, it, it, forty years earlier. It's uh, mm -hmm. you know, the person who probably invented the mini skirt is like the woman here who is in this audience who will invent something new. Um, and we'll wear it out on the street 
and some designer we'll yeah, will see it, or Tommy Tom will take a photo, and a designer will appropriate it. I mean, I, I don't think you can give, I, I think you can't really invent anything now. I, I say that we live more like the Flintstones than the Jetsons, because um, we don't live on the moon, or we're, you know, we're not, I mean, I really thought by the time I would be grown up, and I've been grown up for like 25 years, I thought like, you know, I would have a spaceship drop me off to work and things like that. But we really are more like the Flintstones, and, and we just constantly re recycle ideas, although I'm very excited about what's happening in fashion, you know, within the last but few years. But it's interesting that thing about does it matter? Because I'm wondering if artists bubble about who do something first as much as fashion designers do. Because I've been really mortified to seeing this great tantrum and, and you know, putting a brain in the back machine and all this. But it's shown the fashion industry to be not that smart and not, and it's been terribly stereotypical of this the way designers behave. It's all part of, I mean, the zeitgeist, and mm -hmm. it's, they should leave it to history to decide, or to people who are proper commentators, rather than to say, I did that first. Well, and when you think, you know, moments, moments, speaking of zeitgeist, moments just magically happen in fashion. There's yeah. some reason As why everyone does color blocking one season, mm -hmm. and then a season after, and a season after, I mean, it's like color blocking won't go away. And I just think there is a mood and there's a feeling, and I think a lot of it comes because of the street, of just looking at people, and, and people are feeling it. I mean, you guys are the most inspiring people, when you think about it, out in the world of fashion. Because, That's what's really changed. It's not yes. the anymore. It's like, it's, uh, I mean, at, at a certain point, I think, I go to parties sometimes, and like, oh no, we're not having a house photographer. It's all going to be people taking their own photos. Because it's the, the Instagram genre. That's cooler. No. Oh yeah, it's so cool. Okay. <laughs> do you think that your client or your customer has changed slightly or the people coming into your store since you've been active on social media channels? So you might have, you know, people with a certain amount of money might have come to get separately to buy something, but now you have this 16-year-old girl who's really interested in fashion who's coming to your store to be inspired. It, it, the audience is so much broader. Uh, it's completely global. People are always shocked that we have a large air clientele. When Ramadan is happening, I feel like I'm part of it because I am. We're like emailing each other, and I'm uh, we're, I'm on the same sleep cycle. Uh, we have a huge Asian clientele, and we have a lot of older people. And when I say older, I mean like people, older, it's me. like that... seventy plus, not like I mean, older in LA is thirty-five. Like really, like you know, people who wore the clothes before, who. A, feel disenfranchised by contemporary fashion. B, been there, done that. And they want to look special, and they're still into fashion. I'm one of my favorite clients. I mean, my granny was into fashion until she was 90, and yeah. I can't continue that. Give me a, a, a great eccentric, a, a, a great authentic eccentric, but one of my favorite clients uh, who lives in New York when she slipped and broke her hip. Who did her daughter call first? Me. <laughs> because she, you know, she knew I was close with Stella and that I could, I made a phone call and got, her, her, up. And I got, her, I got her a private room at the best hospital in New York. Because I basically am the concierge of the world. Oh. So, but, but it's, you know, she but here's a woman and she likes to be a porter and Ozzy and Poochie. It's so cool. It's so great. What happens to those pieces that you buy and just can't sell them because you want them? How big is your head? <laughs> I don't collect any women's clothes. Not a gender. I have a huge men's collection. Uh, I, I feel a social responsibility to buy men's vintage as well as support, excuse me, young talent. Um, so I have a pretty large archive which has taken over my storage unit, taken over my bedroom. Um, and actually, I'm excited in 2014 in LA, there's a show called Raining Man at the LA County Museum, which will be really the, probably the most comprehensive uh, curated collection of fashion from the macaroni to the metrosexual. So, so I, 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 and I think that is- How many of your clothes have been in there? Well, they want everything. <laughs> um, I'm loaning a lot and I donated a, a lot. lot. But they all want everything. I'm like, I can give you everything. I gotta think about my legacy. <laughs> um, but, but speaking of men's fashion, I, I do think that's probably the most 
exciting uh, world of fashion today is what's happening in men's yeah, fashion. I, I mean, it's finally, like, it, it's finally. Actually, another thing I have to say, because yeah. I think men's fashion week is breaking in on January the something like eighth. Where's Paula? You have to do that show. Good men, good men's and women's designer, but from twelve oh five collection. So I do hope you'll come back and. Buy I will come back. Yes, I, I will come back again. And, and is it, any other questions, or are we going to drink and sell some more books so I can have four, so I can buy four? Why don't you sell some more books? I need to sell some more books. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you.